0: The, the more we talk about these things, the more we can realize, hey, it's okay to talk about these things because I don't need there to be an outcome. It's just good to not be the only one feeling this. And it's good to be the, not to be the only one who's, you know, aware of what I'm going through at the moment. And sometimes I think we have to get over that idea of like, every problem can be fixed and teaching, especially young boys that of like, you have to be logical, you have to be about the outcome. 'Cause I think when you do that, you you teach them, hey, if there's if there's no logical solution, then is it worth thinking about? And the answer is yeah, absolutely. Like there's so many problems in life that we're never gonna solve, but we should still yeah. think about them and talk about. Them.
1: Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm really glad you joined us. Today's guest is Tim Musso. Tim is a researcher. He's a writer. He's a speaker. He talks about sexual violence prevention, harassment prevention. I think that me trying to make this intro also began to stir up a lot of things because as I continue to listen to the work that he does and the talks that he's given, he's speaking to the heart of issues and things that um, are hard to talk about. They're hard for maybe the general public to talk about. And maybe if I'm speaking just personally, they're hard for people who have experienced different types of trauma to talk about. You know, we talk about masks in this episode, as we always do. And I think that sometimes deciding when I want to talk about certain of the deeper wounds that I'm still nursing in my life, uh, is sometimes complicated. I know the topics that Tim talks about. And I I think I tried to, maybe toward the end, I tried to get to the topic, but I was trying to dance around it. You know, one of his recent posts, he talks about um, why we should not be trying to make martyrs of victims. And no one's trying tried to do that to me, but I feel sometimes the importance of this topic to talk about. And I don't want to spill my baggage and trauma on someone else and so i'm always really hesitant to even talk about it even though i know that it's a topic that so many people understand so many people can have experienced and that can help heal so many wounds so as we know in the taking out the mass podcast you know we get a chance to share our masks and um, it was really good to be in this conversation with tim uh, i hope you enjoyed today's episode um, because we are talking about some sensitive topics. I invite you to um just be cautioned if you're listening to this around young children. We don't talk about a lot of anything explicit, but I just want to make sure that if you listen to it around young listeners, uh, that y- you prepare for um any topics that may come up that may be sensitive to those um in the presence. Uh thank you for being a part of this movement with us. Um, we hope that if you are inspired, you will share this with someone. Um, and please uh, tell us Give us a review tell us how we're doing in these conversations and we hope that um if you know someone who you think that we should talk to that you will um, reach out to them or reach out to us on their behalf and we look forward to um the work in the million mask movement helping people all over the world realize that you are not alone that i am not alone that we are not alone so thank you for being a part of the journey with us we hope you enjoyed today's episode. We'll see you soon. Welcome to the Taking Off the Mask podcast. My name is Ashanti Branch, and I'm really glad you joined us. Uh, today's guest is Tim Musso, and I am excited to be in this conversation with Tim. Uh, we, he and I, before the call, had a chat about the, the, pronouncing his last name, and you know, asking for help sometimes is it should be the most simple thing we do but why do we sometimes overcomplicate simple things and uh tim thank you for being here on the show i appreciate you
0: absolutely shanti thanks for having me i'm so excited for this conversation
1: well i would like you to introduce yourself um tell folks what you want them to know about you before we jump into this conversation uh and i'll let you take it from here
0: yeah so i am a uh... I guess I would call myself a speaker and researcher. And I talk about topics related to sexual violence prevention, harassment prevention, um, as well as kind of general masculinity. And I've been doing that for about eight years, studying those topics and doing research with college students, as well as now, kind of as my career has progressed, doing more work with companies and corporations. And so um, I've kind of traveled the world doing my speaking. And like I said, do original research on the topic, really right now focusing on how we can help people feel safe and what that means and what that looks like in, you know, relationships as well as communities.
1: Right on. Well, you know, thank you for the topic, because I think that topic is not only um, uh, I think that why my mask was thinking about what I was going to write on the mask is because I'm I'm in that phase of like oh we're having this talk today right and i think maybe just even the some of the yeah. resistance right the resistance of i think you talk about that in some of your 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 talks around but we don't talk about it and we don't talk about it because it's sometimes hard to talk about you know but w- you and i today don't have to talk about a topic in particular It's based on whatever mask you decide to share and the mask that that i'm going to share and so you know one of the the spaces that, I think one of the most beautiful things about these conversations with men from all over the world and from all backgrounds is that you couldn't tell by looking at me so many things. I couldn't tell by looking at you so many yeah. things. But when we allow ourselves or give ourselves permission to uh, take a layer of the mask off or even take it all off, right? That it gives hopefully other people a way to feel like they're not alone either, that they, that, even though they could never have known, but that now they're like, okay, I, I see you and, I, and I'm, and I hear you. And so thank you for being here on the show with us today. And um, here's, the way we do it is we, we let the guests decide because you get to decide what happens and who goes first. So either you go first or I go first and then we'll, we'll share front and front and then back and back. And then, I mean, the conversation will take off how it takes off, as you know, like however it is meant to be That's that's where it goes.
0: Perfect. Well, uh, I can, I'll start, I can do that. Um, I can okay, start with the mask. Yeah. Right. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it today and kind of had primed myself for it. But, um, yeah, I really started kind of reflecting on it today and what words I want to put on. So here's the front of my mask right here. Um, and I, I have issues with handwriting and spacing. So I had to write one word down cause I drew my portrait first um including the fact that i put my tattoo in there because that's one of the things that people always notice and a lot of times like i've met people who've seen me speak before and like months later they'll be like oh i don't remember your name but i remember the tattoo Uh, (laughs) so put the rough approximation of that there but i would say the three words i chose for my mask were first knowledgeable and so i picked that one just because i think as a, a speaker and a researcher people oftentimes look at me as the source of information and knowing that I love information data that's how I operate that's how my brain works there's kind of always this expectation that you know Tim knows what he's talking about or if we have a question on the topic we can go to Tim and you know it's it's kind of shows up in so many aspects of how people think I'm spending my time or how I am spending my time and so that's there the next word i picked was driven just cuz i think that some, you know, As a business owner and as someone who works for themselves and has been doing this for a long time, I think there's this kind of impression of you have your life together. You know what you're doing. You're always working. You're always trying to get new clients. You're always speaking. You're always on the road. You're always traveling. And so there's always that perception of like, you're super motivated and you're doing this and you're working and working and working. And then the last word I picked is courageous because I think that is something I hear a lot, especially with my speaking topic and my area of expertise, you know, I share the, the reason I got into the work that I do is that I, I am a male survivor of sexual assault. And that's a huge part of my story and my experience. And I think whenever I talk with audiences, that's one of the words I hear most often is you're so courageous for sharing. It's, you know, it's a courageous line of work. It's a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard thing to discuss. And so every single time i talk that's kind of a word that comes up and i think with the the there's a lot of there's a lot of choice there and you know a few options i could have put but i think courageous is one that kind of encapsulates both the the act of getting up and speaking as well as the vulnerability piece of you know you're sharing something so openly and you know it has an impact on the
1: people around you mm, wow man and i and i I noticed just as you say it, and and I've met lots of people um, in in this work as well, who have been survivors. And I think there's oftentimes uh, just energetically uh, a lowering of the voice when, and I know when I first said it on stage the first time I almost like, I almost didn't have a voice. I think I was like, I was like trying to find like, am I, am I doing this? Am I doing, am I doing this right now? Like, what are you doing? Like, and everything in me was like, don't, don't, don't do it. Tell the other story. Tell the story about the the domestic violence stuff. Tell the story about almost getting shot, but don't tell this one. Right. And I think, uh, I, I, I feel the encouragement and the courage in your voice to be able to just say it and Taking the power away from it over you, which is um, what it sounds like you're 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 you do or you have done. So, um, thank you for that. Um, All right, man. Okay. Um, Here's the front, and I've been, I think the last word I just found right now. So, uh, let's see. I've been working on this this light situation. (laughs) All right. Uh, Nope. Okay. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna eventually. One day, like probably episode two hundred, I'm gonna get it the lighting right where it's gonna. I'm gonna just show it now. <laughs> okay, there's a the mask. We keep it old school, <laughs> and then there's the words. So I will put serious, dedicated, and passionate. And yeah, I mean, I think when I wrote that, picked that picture. Like, I don't really think I have intended to make the the mouth look so serious, but I think oftentimes I. I get into like work mode and I get into like go mode and I'm just like, yeah. right. And I think if, if I'm not purposely, I think one of the interesting things I was telling a group of students yesterday is like, you know, we're wearing these masks. Right. So like most times I have to pretend by putting on a smile all the time because yeah. my just normal disposition, it just looks like I'm angry or I'm just like, I just look normal. Like you won't, you would think, so what's wrong with him? Right. So, I have to like oftentimes like make myself smile so that people are not thinking that I'm mad or that something's wrong. But I don't know sometimes when I don't, when I don't notice it. But with the mask, I've been out of practice, right? So, I've just, I look however I just look. I don't have yeah. to exer- exercise these cheek muscles uh, to make myself like, you know. And I always think, and sometimes so when I'm not wearing one, sometimes people are like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, I don't think I'm fine. And then I'm like, oh. You can see my, you can see my, you can see my mouth. So I better put on this smile again. And I realized like sometimes my cheeks hurt, you know, sometimes my, the but but I think, and I'm not, and I think the serious part doesn't mean you can't, you can't be serious and smile, but I, I think I get really like intense and I can, I think I can, you can, I, I think you can yeah. wear, I wear it, I wear it. um, And like right now as a, as our, our team is growing and there's a lot of movement, a lot of change and a lot of, Uh, evolution of the work um i'm uh, not only am i tired and i don't i definitely don't try and show that but i I definitely like serious dedicated passionate let's go let's go let's go and sometimes i'm just like no 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 more right like sometimes right and i think that uh, that's part of the work is like what? How do you need to show up so that you continue pushing in the way that needs to happen so that things can continue growing? Because I have the feeling like if I don't – if I'm not in that role, in the pushing role, that things will slow down. And I think uh, I heard uh, John Maxwell say is the – Something the law of the big mo, right? The momentum, right? Once you get the, once you get a hold of the big mo, don't let them go, right? Like, like you don't let go of momentum, like. And so that 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 feeling of like having to constantly push, 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 can sometimes get overwhelming. But but that's what I try and show, you know, that it's not overwhelming. That I got this, no problem. Let's keep going. And uh, I think I'm still learning how to uh, let rest be. valuable, important, and expected, you know, um, those are the things that I'm working on right now. Yeah. So that's the front of the mask.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think it's fascinating. I think, you know, anytime you talk to someone who either owns their own businesses or is working, I think, passionately about kind of a cause and, you know, something you've created. And it, it just, like you said, it can become consuming. And it feels like it's it sometimes becomes these, you know, that was something that was a lot in the pandemic going from, speaking full time and traveling for my work and being on stages to being at home, you know, and eventually virtual return. But initially I think there was this period of loss of identity and self of like, who am I, if, if not this right. And kind of separating who is Tim, the person versus who is Tim, the speaker and all of those kind of aspects. Right. And the business owner and the person always doing that kind of stuff. Um, That's right. And then it's funny when you think of that, when you talk about the, the serious ne- level, um, there's a term I always use in my keynotes called resting bro face. And for me, I came up with that term because I work with a lot of male audiences. And I think it's something that I see where, you know, anytime you're talking to a group of guys, they're just, they look upset and like, you could be saying anything to them. It doesn't matter. You could be praising them. You could be complimenting them, you know, and it's, it's something that we know because of how so many men are socialized to not show emotions that I think our de facto expression is just looking upset and angry and serious and stuff. Cause we're like, we're just so used to repressing it. And it's just like, I see it all the time with male audiences.
1: Yeah, and I wonder. I mean, and, and even now, imagine we can't even see their faces, right? Like you can't even yeah. see them. I mean, if you're if you an audience where they're having to wear masks, like the workshop we had yesterday, three hundred teenage young men, and like you just hope. I'm just hoping for some friendly eyes. You're like, okay, okay, I got, I got, I got him. I got him. You know the other ones. You if your eyes are not have no expression, then I'm just like. <laughs> what are they what are they what are they saying right what are they thinking right um and just saying okay yeah. I, I can't I can't use that anymore as my gauge let me just go from the heart and hope that it lands right but yeah I like the resting rope, yeah the wonder and also you know depending on where you grew up or how you grew up maybe I was told the smiling got pushed out of me because I was told i would smile too much yeah. like why are you always happy like what you like in my city if you look at somebody, and they assume you're looking at them wrong and I, 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 sometimes I wasn't even aware how I was looking at them. I'm like, uh, are you mugging me? Hmm? no, I'm not mugging you i'm not i wasn't even I didn't think I was looking at you, you know, and I think then having to be always yeah. conscious of like, okay, don't be too happy, don't be like you almost have to kind of you get you get policed by those around you to be like almost like expressionless. Right. Or definitely an expression of yep. don't mess with me. Right. If it's either your expression less or is a clear expression like don't come close, don't say nothing to me, don't bother me. Right. And I think it sometime can be I, I found it I found it to be at times exhausting, you know, to, to be in that wandering of like, yeah. okay, yeah. All right. Well, um, are you are you ready for this next part? yeah to the back oh, okay all right, right. You're, you're up. so yeah
0: i, I think uh, mm-hmm. the words i wrote first was listless um i think there was a lot of time thinking of the word that would go there but i think um right now especially there just kind of feels like at times a, a lack of purpose or direction or trying to figure out and understand what that means and kind of like who mm-hmm. am like i said it's kind of starting the pandemic but also just my mind always really is i think asking questions and so there's always this kind of thing of who am i what am i doing what am i trying to accomplish what's my purpose am i spending my time and energy on the right things and i think it also ties heavily into the second word which is isolated um you know because i've I've started going back to in-person programs but even then i think there's There's so much of this aspect of my life that i'm creating in a vacuum right where when i'm not speaking you know i'm a writer as well and so i write and create content and stuff like that and there's times where i will wake up and spend an entire day doing something and i'm like if this doesn't see the light of day what did i do right and i think so many times in our society that values and prioritizes work and what you're creating and being a product. It's kind of like, am I that product and do I want to be? And if, if I'm not producing, what is my worth and what's my value and all of those kind of pieces. And then I think the last word I picked was like fragmented. And so for me, it's, um, dealing with some of the trauma of the last year as well as just the trauma behind my work. There always kind of feels like there's a separation of identity at times of um who i am and who i want to be and the places i find myself spending time or it feels like i'm being pulled in a lot of different directions and i think right now more than Mm any time in the past for me it's been trying to reconcile those pieces of my identity and you know going to therapy currently and talking with my therapist of what is my worth and you know i i know i'm a good speaker and that's you know I've, i've built a career on it but So often my path as a speaker, as well as my, the stories I share are so tied into the trauma that I've experienced. And so there's always kind of these pieces of my brain that go like, oh, if you didn't have these stories, would you still be a good speaker? Right. And I think that's a really difficult question to answer sometimes because it's yes, absolutely. I know that. And on a rational level, I can tell myself, hey, you're, it's not just, you didn't build a business out of this just because but there's still that piece of I'm, I'm talking about something that I experience, and that's meaningful and it's valuable. And the connections I make with audiences, are stuff that always, always inspires me and brings me hope. And that's why I've done this so long. But within that, there's kind of that, those dueling identities that spread in so many ways of not always knowing what comes on the other end.
1: Yeah. I mean, I th- man, let me just take that in. Cause, uh, I've made a lot of connections in what you just said on the back, and I think, um, I think the the last part of making connections is one of those really important ones. I'm, I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I'm going to thank you. First of all, thank you, thank you for for sharing those, and um, I resonate, I resonate with isolated sometimes, and I think it's going to come up right now. Um, hmm. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I was like, I mean, it's already. I mean, it's not like I'm gonna change it right now. I'm like, I don't know why I was hesitating, but it's like, oh boy, yeah. here we go. Okay, so I wrote a uh, survivor remorse. I wrote doubt, and I wrote writer and father. Like, um, and then I wrote worried about youth. Um, and the one that stands out to most, as you were as you were speaking, was about the doubt like i think the one and i'm gonna maybe come back to the other two if i if i can but i think um like the doubt of the dream in me to write this book and why i like i almost like get irritated to even talk about it anymore right because like i'm 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 always working i'm working a lot right on this yeah. dream on this project on this on this organization on building this business and but the book is not making the progress as as well right and what i have seen and i think i'm part of me is like stop talking about it if you're not going to be making progress stop talking about it cuz it's it's baloney it's nonsense it's it's bull right like either get about writing it or stop talking about it Part of me is like in that telling myself that, right? Um, yeah. and I think that I've created a lot of content over the last four or five years like, I mean, hundreds of little mini videos here and there that I still overthink and don't share, but I don't like all the stuff that I'm getting in the way of, right? And I think, when I think about the doubt, I'm like, where does it come from? And the other day, someone asked me a question about, um, you know, do I want to be a father? And I realized, like, it wasn't. To, I mean, I think I think about that question on and off times, like. And I think it really st- something stood out to me in that when he asked the question, because I was like, "Yeah, I definitely want to be a father." But now I'm I'm, I'm older, right? I don't want to be the old dad, right? In the in, at the game or at the whatever the event, but. But also, it's like, how am I gonna? I, the work of raising a child is 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 a lot. Like I I raise I, I help raise my siblings. I I don't want to think about diapers, formula bottles, burping, vomit. Like pa- pa- I don't want to think about none of that stuff. Like I I've already I was seven years old thinking about that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I enjoy my my freedom. I enjoy my freedom. I yeah. But the other side of that is, but but you can't have freedom and still want to be a father because when you become, when you become a father, you have, you have a responsibility, like a human responsibility, you know? And I, and I, so I have that, that, like, what, what, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is, how much am I willing to sacrifice of what I enjoy of my freedom to like have this thing? And I think if I, if I was really being honest about it, if I I was to be more honest about it, um, I think I'm supposed to want to leave a legacy. Like I, I think about the fact that when I, if I, when I die, there's nobody after me on my leg of this family tree. It ends right there. And I think I feel more, I think worry, sadness, fear, something about that. than I do about like really wanting to be taking care of a child right now. Like I, I'm clear. I don't really want to deal with the responsibilities of a human life because I I'm tired. You I know, mean, I've I've done it before uh, in, in lots of ways, and so I have that battle in myself. You know, and um, and so I think about that. That's a that's a really and it, it came up on a pie on an interview I had a couple of days ago. Someone asked me that question, and I was like, ooh. And it's really, it was really raw, you know? And so that comes up. And I think the one that I'm actually trying not to talk about, this is how funny, right? I went to the middle one because I don't really want to talk about the, the survivor's remorse, right? Yeah. I don't want to talk about, and I, and I know that it's still very delicate in a topic for me, you know? And I think hearing you speak so clear about it is encouraging, right? And also sometimes I'm like, why, why didn't I just keep it to myself? You know, why is it, is me telling it going to help anybody is, you know, like I, I, why can't I have just kept forgetting it? Like I forgot it for so long. Right. Why could I, and I think about that a lot. And I think about, am I, am I supposed to be talking about it more? Am I, you know, it only, uh, it only comes out when in moments like this, or if, I don't usually bring it up. Only somebody, usually somebody will bring it up and then I'll respond to it or something, but I don't usually bring it up as a, and so I've just got, I'm encouraged by, by, by you sharing part of your story. And I just wanted to say that. And so, and the last one, worried about youth. That's a constant thing I think about, but even more so now that kids are back in school and there's a lot of stuff going on, but let me stop there. Cause that was a, that was a pretty deep dive And uh, yeah. Thank you for, thank you for sharing the back of your mask.
0: Absolutely. Thank you as well. Yeah. 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 It really yeah, the the survivor's remorse piece really resonates because I think um so often when I speak and I talk about my experience and my story, you know, it 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 almost feels I think mechanical at times because I've been doing it so long. And I think that there's parts of me that couldn't have survived doing it that long if I was really feeling it in every single way. Mm-hmm. I know right You know, right before we jumped on, we are talking about that degree of sometimes just going through the motions. And I think for me, telling my story feels like that. Like I know as a speaker or when I'm talking about it, when to pause, when to wait, when to give the audience space. And so much of it's I think grounded in what they're going through and thinking about their experience. Because I know that when I work with survivors, I hear usually people will talk about, I wish I could share my story like you do. I feel like I'm failing as a survivor because I'm not talking about what I went through. I feel like I could change my community or the environments I'm a part of if I talked about it. And so often I have to tell survivors, we don't owe anyone anything, right? And I think that just in our country in general, we have created this kind of almost business out of survivorship and trauma. And so often the way that we try and get people to care about so many issues and especially sexual violence is by, you know, the term I sometimes use is martyring, right? We require survivors to get up and share this very visceral experience. And then it's kind of like, Mm -hmm. oh, now people should care because you know someone or you heard someone or you can connect with them. And I try and always tell survivors, like, if you don't want to do that, that's okay. And like, it doesn't make you a bad survivor to not want to share your story just because I think they're there's still so much pressure on it, especially for men. I think we're still in a place where it's uncommon to hear about. It's uncommon to talk about. There's the layers of shame and stigma that exist around being a male survivor. And then because of that, I think that adds into the layers of if you are a survivor and you have a platform and you are a male thinking you have to talk about it. And I think so many times where people are just, there's that, and it just adds on in the complexity of the shame you're feeling. Cause you're like, if you're, if you have, I think once you disclose, like like you said, there's that voice drop in that first time, like once you disclose and you see the way people's perceptions of you change and the look they give you changes and all of a sudden the way they're, you know, staring at you changes and you realize almost there's this degree of power in that. And it can provoke these feelings of, Hey, I've, I have now seen this shift in people's, perception, because I was willing to say this. And it's yeah. it's always reconciling. So how much do I have to? And how often do I need to say this, if I if I see this power of potentially helping this issue, you know, and seeing that, um, like you said, in a very tangible way in people's faces, and yeah. this very immediate reaction you receive when you disclose, and then it becomes that question of like, what impact can I have? And what impact do I have to have with this?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think when you said the idea, um, like I, I think someone I heard someone describe it as a a vulnerability hangover, yeah, right. It's like, oh, I didn't said it, and now it's like, oh my goodness, what's happening right now, right? Like the, the the worry, the doubt. It could be even on the on the drive home. Like it happened an hour ago, and I'm like, oh, what did you? What? Why were you think like all the wor- the things that happened around? And I think and one of the things I think is really Uh, what I have, what I feel is that when students are willing to share some of their story, right. When they're willing to like get real about what they're going through in a, in a really healthy way in a heartfelt way. And knowing that like yesterday, when I presented in front of these students, I was like, here's what I know right now. I know our young people are, are struggling. This is all boys school. Right. So I was thinking about, do I, do I, do I share this part? And something was like, nah, nah, don't share it. Just talk about, talk, you know, I was thinking about what story I was going to tell them. And I was like thinking of it all morning. Like, do I, what story do I tell? Can can they handle it? Can I handle it? Can I, Am I going to lose, you know, lose ability to keep going? And, and all the things that were going on, it was like, and I know that I don't feel the pressure that anybody expects me to do anything. Like I, I as a storyteller, you decide what stories that, you know, the audience needs, can handle, or ready for, whatever. Um, and even up until like right when I told it, I was like, now nah, we're going to talk about domestic violence. We're going to talk about, you know, like, like almost like, <laughs> like almost like I had to say like, yeah, I don't think, I, I don't think I'm i ready. I don't think I'm ready. And it probably was more for me than for what them, you know, I think. So I think that those are really important. I think that because what I'm learning, not only in these conversations, I think, you know, you being, I want to say the third man who has shared part of that story um has been encouraging actually number four, right? And I think I just want to appreciate you and I think how do we, you know I know that where that thing started and then what it created in me, there's a there's a book and I can't find it right now. it's called uh, it didn't start with you, right. Um, there's two books I'm reading. one, the body keeps the score is another one. like this idea of like how many things that have happened to us, right? That people will never know. And so uh, when people talk about what's wrong with you, what's wrong? Well, it's, it's not really about what's wrong with me. It's kind of like that new question they ask is what What happened to you? Yeah. I mean, you may not even remember. You may not even know. You may not even have words for it. But like maybe there was just it, it's nothing wrong with you. But whatever happened to you and how it in, how it in, how it, in, it ingrained itself into your being, your body, your heart, your soul, your um, the way you show up in the world, it, it can come out in really beautiful ways of being able to tell and help other people go through theirs. And it sometimes can come out in really ugly ways where you have now stored it so long that now it becomes a fester and mold and now it's becoming, it comes through you in such a, in in ugly ways too, right? Cause you know, hurt, hurt, hurts, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Oh
0: man. I think it's even fascinating just to think about that question. What's wrong with you? And I think that even just implicitly how much that continues to perpetrate that shame, right? When, when you associate this idea of you see someone having these kind of reactions to this trauma or the things that have happened to them and our reactions think like, what's wrong, right? And I think for so many men, as you, know, as you shared a little earlier, like that serious side, um, and we think about the repression of emotions, You know, when we look at that idea of like resting bro face, you know, that's a joke, I usually make in my keynotes, because it gets people to laugh and warms them up a little. But I think the the other side is, you know, just as much as we teach young men to hide happiness, we also teach them to hide sadness. And so so often when they exhibit or show any signs of sadness or remorse or pain, or any of those pieces, our reaction is like, what's wrong? And then there's that kind of just almost implicit connection of like there is something wrong about this um, because we know through years of research that there is so much shame to survivorship and there's such a stigma around it that it, oftentimes it actually estimates can show that it almost can take a male survivor up to 30 years to talk about their <laughs> what they went through and yeah. that doesn't mean they're not processing it. it doesn't mean they're not feeling it or experiencing it yeah, yeah. it just means that they're not talking about it And if they're, you know, exhibiting any of those kind of cues or emotions and someone's kind of telling them that they shouldn't even be feeling that, it just pushes it down further and further.
1: Yeah. And I wonder, like, thinking about that, like, when you decide that, okay, I am not going to show it, I'm going to have this resting bro face, I'm going to not show happiness because whatever I've been taught in my community growing up or whatever the messages were around that, um, where it becomes a place where I get to say, I don't know what I'm feeling right now, you know? Like, I don't, I don't know if I, what I'm feeling right now. Like, if, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I've been told i got to shut it off, right? I, I remember just thinking that when I was a teacher, like, when students would come in, I, and I remember one student in particular who wanted to have a fight with me. Like, it was a day. It was one of them days. Came in, goofing off. I'm like, I, you know, I gave some instructions. Probably go have a seat. Stop talking. And then, man, why are you all up on my back? And I'm like, dude, I, I'm I'm teaching you. You came in late. My work is to get the class going. I, you're not focusing. And I remember the student saying something like, "You should, you know, you should have known I was in a bad mood." I was like, "I told my because eventually I had to tell them to get out, right? Like, we're not doing this. Step outside, man. What you talking about? You should have just left me alone. You should have known I was in a bad mood, something like that." And I was like, "How?" how was I to know you were in a bad mood? And the student was like, you should have seen my face. And it was almost as if the student thought that I, first of all, I appreciate his uh, uh, thinking of me having some superpowers around that. (laughs) But uh, in the moment I was like, yeah, I I didn't take in that you were in a bad mood. I don't think I ever noticed you come in with a jolly mood. So the fact that you weren't like, smiling and laughing and go- like you were goofing off but you weren't like like being jovial you wasn't like you were like oh i'm such having such a gr- whatever day it wasn't like i knew that of you and i think that sometimes without us being able to have words to be able to talk about how we're feeling i think we often think that people should know that something's going on with us right because in that moment i had to then tell him to step outside he doesn't want to step outside i'm like well you're not doing work here so why are why are we having this? We are not gonna have this argument in front of everybody else. Like let's step outside. But in his mind, it it was like this: You should know I'm in a bad mood. You should leave me alone. When I'm in a bad mood. And I'm like I I don't I I'm not that good yet. <laughs> I'm still working on this. You know the mind reading ways of uh of, of of the Mr. Branch. You know like give me some tips and you tell me what should I look for to know what you what's a bad mood look like to you. And imagine how many times that happens. I mean, it happened to me as a teacher. And if I'm not willing to You know, I'm willing to have an argument with a a student back and forth. I'm willing to let words get, because I know that sometimes what's happening in the words is like letting them process what they're really upset about, right? Because usually it's, it's, you know, we're just in a disagreement. But imagine if how many people go home at night thinking that their family, their kids, their loved ones, their friends know they're in a bad mood and no one, they think people know. How how would I know? How you didn't say anything? You just came in and sat down, like I was, you know. And I think if we think people know, then we think people are supposed to come support us around what they know. And I think oftentimes we we may be mistaken that people don't know what's going on with us because if we're not going to be willing to talk about it, you it would mean that people have to assume all the time whether you, whether you're in a good mood or bad mood, right? Or ask you all the time, hey, are you in a good mood? And then you may like be like, why are you asking me that? Well, I just can't tell based on the facial expression I'm seeing, you know? Yeah. You know, since you said you work with a lot of audience of, of young men or men, um, how, like where do you find is the ways that we as, you know, society, community, and just people doing this work um, need to offer more support for young men and and, and all people. I mean, I imagine all people, not only just young men, but um, – and you can answer this question not just for your men, but for all people. Like, what no. what do we need to do to create like more places for people to like to just get a, get assured that they're not alone that that there's nothing wrong with them, right? That they're that whatever happened to them isn't a definition of them, right? But w- what do you see in your work, and what what are your thoughts around that?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's um, it is that fascinating mix between like sometimes the way we know. Male audiences talk about this as different for others because I think for a lot of men it's trying to convince them to start small and really to focus on get used to talking about what you're going through when it's at a two, not when it's at a ten because I think yeah. if you especially with that repression idea, if we're pushing our emotions out, if we're pushing them down, if we're pushing them down, if we're not allowed to display them, we're not supposed to feel them, we're not supposed to talk about them. kind of like that example you share with that student, it's you know we, we're going through stuff we're going through stuff and a lot of times we just explode because we think everyone else should know what's going on around us and we know that especially like my work with men i always tell them like we, when we study and look at how men are oftentimes asking for help or asking for support they wait they wait until it's the worst case scenario they wait wait until things have escalated they wait until things have gotten to a point where they feel like it's unstable uncontainable and yeah. they're either lashing out at themselves or sometimes they're engaging in behaviors, lashing out and hurting others, which then yeah. just complicates it. Cause you might feel shame now and you might feel like, oh, like I was trying to process what was going on around me. I don't feel like I could talk to anyone around this. So I may be doing something that hurts someone. And then you have to deal with that shame of like, I was hurt, but I also yeah. hurt someone. And so, so often I try and recommend to people, um, mm-hmm. start or start smaller, recognize that you don't have to wait until it's at that, you know, kind of place where it feels so oppressive before you talk about Mm -hmm. it. And the more that we can normalize Mm -hmm. that in our relationships and our friendships and our community, the more we also give people permission to ask us as well. I think if if people are only ever seeing us ask for help when things get extreme and when things are falling apart, then they're only going to get used to offering help when things are extreme and falling apart. And so the more we can realize like hey it's it's okay to recognize that this is this is okay to ask now before it escalates and then the other thing with yeah. that is that i think it just opens the door on Taking away some of these things that are kind of you know behind the mask that we think are ice, we think they're our own, and we we oftentimes think like no one else is going through this, no one else is experiencing this, no one else has these feelings, mm-hmm. you know. And look here, we yeah. we just talked, and we're like, oh yeah, like things you said resonate with me, things I said resonate with you, and I think it's yeah. that thing with people as well, helping them realize, you know, we all think we're so alone in what we're experiencing, That's and right. even if someone doesn't have the exact same experience, so often once we can talk about it. There's kind of that recognition of like, I'm not alone. I'm not isolated. I don't have to do this by myself. I have people who care. I have people who aren't going to judge me. Um, but we yeah. have to get used to sharing that.
1: And I think, I mean, something about what you said is like, if if men are lashing out, if and then they're saying, well, I didn't realize it had built up so much. I've also, I mean, we've definitely seen it in lots of movies where they have these scenes where it's like, you made me do this. Like, you know what I'm saying? We blame the other person. Like, the blame comes on them for making me so mad. You made me lash out. And I think even the other type of stereotype of how, you know, what should, what should happen when father comes home from work, just leave him alone. Like, don't bother him right away, right? Because yeah. he needs his time to decompress, right? And I think, you know, some people don't know what they need, so they end up, like, creating a situation where, if you don't know that you need time to decompress when you've come home from whatever the day brought at you, whether it was traffic, family, you know, work, whatever, and I think people begin to notice that. They say, okay, don't go bother him right when he comes home. Give him a minute to like catch his breath, right? And then he can be a little bit more irrational, but maybe when people come at you, you you get out of the car and they're like, we got all these problems. And you're like, I don't want to hear your problems. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, like how often we, I mean, and I see it lots in movies, like uh, portrayals of how movies portray the dad coming home from work, right? Like, and sometimes it's the opposite. It's like, hey, family, how are you doing, right? It's almost like the how the different sides of that 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 archetype shows up in TV, film, movies, TV shows, right? Yeah. Some come home ready to joke and play. Some come home, don't bother me. I'm going to sit on the couch and veg out, you know? Um, and I think some of it it lands in some truth around examples that people have, you know?
0: Yeah, I think a question that I always talk about, especially with um, supporting survivors of sexual violence, but I think it really comes down to anyone is just really trying to sometimes pause and say, like, how can I help you or how can I support you or what do you need? Because I think sometimes we get so used to fixing things. And, you know, another, I think, stereotype you see a lot of times in TV shows and movies is the the, you know, wife has a problem or girlfriend has a problem and the and the husband just tries to fix it right away. And they kind of make jokes about that of like, I just need you to listen. I think that's true for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think so often we get in this mode of you're telling me something that you're bothered by or upset with or whatever oh, it yeah. is. And it's and yeah. it's easy to give advice or it's easy to hear that and say, have you tried this or have you thought about this? And sometimes people just want to process. They just want to share. They just want to let it out. Sometimes, you know, people want that space to sit on the couch and do nothing and be by themselves for a little bit. And I think if we can get much better at asking instead of just assigning of saying like, hey, what do you need? You know, like, hey, I know sometimes when you come home from work, you're stressed. Like, what should I do if you are like, what do you need at that time? Do you want to vent? Do you want to talk? Do you want to do you want space? And I think sometimes we forget to ask that question of like, how can I help you? And asking that question gives a lot of power because it lets us focus on them and what they're going through, and it lets us also better support them.
1: You know, that's right. And I wonder, even thinking about that part, like when you ask people what they need, like, uh, like here's what I've known for a lot of the young men that we work with in Ever Forward is that you know um, some young men will be going through something. You can almost see it. You're like, hey, what's going on? What's happening? What's you know? How how can we support you? Oh no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And that's why we do check ins on this scale from one to ten, right? But ultimately, a lot of times when you really get to know young people, I, I think sometimes I've heard young people say, and I, and this is on the younger side of them, you know, teenagers, high school, middle school, even college. Well, I don't want to bother you with it. That's one they will like to say, right? I know you're busy. I'm like, but you know that I'm here for you. Like, why? Don't make me. Don't don't define my busyness. Because you didn't want to talk about it, one, right? And I'm, and I you know when I hear it, I'm empathetic about it because I do that all the time with the men in my life. They're busy, they're running businesses. I don't want to bother them. So I just like, I don't want to call them and ask them for help on this thing, right? Yeah. So I'll just try and figure it out myself, which I've been trying to figure out for four months already and I'm not figuring it out. Yeah. But let, let me try four more months. Maybe in four more months, I'll get it, right? never the answer or often, oftentimes never the answer for me. Um, and then I have young people who say, well, I don't think you can fix it. So I don't want to talk about it. And so they become this pattern where they're like, I only will talk about it if I think the person can fix it. And if that's the way they operate, then it's like, well, I'm never going to talk about anything because I only will talk about it with somebody who I think can fix it. And I think a lot of people, young people operate under that theory is that, I don't want to talk about these problems because you can't fix it anyway, as opposed to just understanding that just sometimes in the talking about it out loud helps our ears to hear what we're saying and say, "Huh? do I actually believe that? Do I actually, is that the real, is that the full story? Is that the complete story? Am I missing something? And I uh, I think that's so much what we try and do in our work is not telling young people we're here to fix you. Hey, we're just here to listen to each other. Hey, anything you got going on that you want to talk about, and the and through the talking about it and hearing other stories, you realize, oh wait, you're going through stuff too. You on the outside, the mask, right? It looks like everything is fine, and once we get behind that 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 surface, I think young people really recognize how how much they're on alone. You know. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think some of it goes back to that like repression, right? And I think also just the way we're socialized. And I know this is true for anyone, but especially men, I think, you know, if you're, if you're taught from a young age that emotions are bad, you kind of, we're also de facto taught that the opposite of that is logic. Right. And so, you know, if, and I think you see that in some of the careers that people choose to pursue and some of the goals and achievements we oftentimes tell ourselves are what we should be doing and how we should be spending yeah. our time or what we should be focused on. And there's a sense of like control that comes with, not feeling your emotions and you always want to be in control and you always want to be able to fix things And i think because of that it's it's that fear of just recognizing like you said talking about emotions doesn't have to go anywhere like it's okay that it doesn't go anywhere it's okay that there's you know there's times where you can have a really good conversation with someone and there's no outcome to your problem but at least it's not lingering at least it's not festering at least it's not just there um and even if that person can't solve it for you which probably for many of the emotional things we're going through is the case like again it's you're not isolated you're not alone anymore you're you're recognizing that the the more we talk about these things the more we can realize hey it's okay to talk about these things because i don't need there to be an outcome it's just good to not be the only one feeling this and it's good to be the not to be the only one who's you know aware of what I'm going through at the moment and sometimes I think we have to get over that idea of like every problem can be fixed and teaching especially young boys that of like you have to be logical you have to be about the outcome because I think when you do that you you teach them hey if there's if there's no logical solution then is it worth thinking about and the answer is yeah absolutely like there's so many problems in life that we're never gonna solve but we should still yeah. think about them and talk about them
1: hmm. yeah yeah. And and I and I think as we as we wrap this up, I I, I'm, I I know part of me is in this in this dance in my head. I'm just gonna say it out loud. Is <laughs> part of me is in addition to the the loud vehicle as you can hear probably going by. Um, one thing I I want to ask you as a person who does this work, as your work, um, like, what do I'm trying to think how they ask the question because yeah. I think that tip, like part of my my saying this out loud. Part of me is just like, let's just not talk anymore about the the survivor stuff because I, but 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 also I, here's what I do know: as I know that so many men out there are not talking about it because they don't they don't feel comfortable, they don't feel safe, they don't they wonder what's gonna happen. They all the the vulnerability, you know, hangover, or, you know, that they that it may come up. How do? and maybe this is just a question for anyone out there and even for myself sometimes, like what, how did you get to the place where, and I don't know if you, well, let me just ask it. Relax, Sean, relax. How did you get to the place where you could talk about it? And and maybe if if that question is too much, I guess the question is, how do you help others begin to a place where um, the story doesn't have power over them? Because I think that as as men who are listening to this, you know, and and, and recognizing that, nope, that one's going to my grave with me. <laughs> that thing's going to my grave with me, you know. And, and it may need to. It may. It may. It may. Ha- it may be the way that works best for each individual man. But, um, you know, in what way are you, do you offer you know thoughts to men who are like, who are like nah, I can't ever talk about that. That's never going to happen. Right. And, um, and just providing the, the care and support of just understanding that you're not alone. Right. I think if nothing else for those who are in the early stages of kind of deciding about what they've been, what they've been through, you know?
0: Yeah. I think one of the first pieces is kind of what you said at the end there is recognizing you're not alone. I think because we, as a, society have done a a terrible job of talking about how this impacts men that so many times when I, I meet male survivors, there's this perception of no one else has this experience. No one else has gone through this. And so I'm the outlier. I had something happen to me that makes me different. And there's that fear of talking. And I think sometimes just hearing that there are other male survivors can be helpful and recognizing that this is happening. It happens to men. It happens to men much more than we talk about, much more than we think about. And I think that that is one of the first pieces of understanding. Hey, you're you're not alone. This isn't just your experience. Um, from there, I think it's it's untangling sometimes feelings of you know guilt and shame that can emerge of recognizing mm-hmm. this isn't something you chose as well. It's something that happened to you. It's something that someone else chose, and that oftentimes also ties into so many perceptions of what we learn about masculinity from a young age i think for many of us we're taught that our, our worth is oftentimes one of the, the hallmarks of masculine worth is sex and mm-hmm. so a lot of men who grow up learning that think to themselves well if, if i was assaulted am i worth less or is my worth mm-hmm. you know diminished and it's recognizing no like it's it's separating the fact that you didn't choose to experience that someone did it to you and it is an aspect of, we, regardless of when it happened to us as survivors, we we didn't choose to be assaulted. Someone made that choice to us. And there, I think, are so oftentimes, when I talk to men, you'll hear things of like, what, I I should have been able to stop it, or I should have been able to prevent it. And I think in so many, in, in, in sexual violence, it's... Um, many times there's times where it occurs with people you trust and know and that you had some kind of potential relationship with or connection to and the predators and people who perpetrate violence use that as a way of perpetrating that act and so it's i think it's separating some of those pieces of um you didn't cause this and it's not your fault and it's not your fault for either not being able to prevent it or also being hurt by someone you trusted And recognizing that as well like you it's it's a it's okay to trust and what someone did to you doesn't have to define any further of your future interactions or your future relationships and realizing again that it's just it's it's, you didn't do anything wrong and i think that's a a really large place that a lot of survivors have to work through is recognizing like it's 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 not our fault it's not our choice we didn't do this someone chose to do this to us and it doesn't have to define us anymore that we don't have to let it become this thing that we're afraid or ashamed of and then you know if you want to it can be difficult i know to disclose about being a survivor sometimes we might be afraid of how people around us are going to respond whether it's members of our community or partners or family members i think one of the things i always recommend to any survivor but especially male survivors is find a find a support group of other male survivors um Mm. because i think there's telling someone for the first time if if they're no matter how much you love them or care about them if there's no primer for that like you've never disclosed this before it can feel very difficult because there's that fear of further rejection or fear of further harm if there's a break of trust and sometimes talking with other survivors is just that realization of i'm not alone people have gone through this they're healing or they're struggling or whatever it might be but you hear other people's stories and i think sometimes like i've gone through therapy i've done that But some of the best Mm -hmm. conversations I've had have come through survivor support groups because there were times Mm -hmm. where I was just there and I would just listen and I would be able to recognize like, yeah, their story is different, but the pain they talk about, the things they're going through, the way that they're, the fears, it's just that all of a sudden that realization of this isn't just me.
1: Well, Tim, thank you for that. (laughs) Thank you for that. And for any man out there, just know that uh, you're not alone, that, um, that, that, I will look and try and put in the show notes some, um, if there's any resources around male support groups. Um, I think I'm going to look at that. If you have any, Tim, I would love to have you share those. Um, because I think that that could be really valuable for men who are in the early stages of, of even willing, being even willing to listen to it being talked about. Right. And so thank you for that. And thank you for being in this conversation today. Um, Will you let folks know? Like I, I, I think ultimately, what I'm hoping through these conversations is that more men, all ages, will find people in their life that they can just say, "Hey, can we have a, a quick chat about these masks we've been wearing with each other?" You know, you know, you and I just met, but men who've known each other for years are walking around with masks with each other because they don't feel that they can take that off. You know, and I'm hoping that we encourage people to. To find those people in their life if they don't have one yet begin looking and maybe begin in figuring out which men in your life do you want to have a more authentic and deep relationship with and knowing that everyone may not be ready for that so thank you for being today on the taking Out the Mass podcast um, can you tell folks how they can get in touch with you where you want them to like engage with you follow you where they can learn more about the work you do um, will you share that with the audience Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And so um, best places to connect with me is either my website, timmuso.com, such as first and last name, or my Instagram, tim uh, underscore muso. And so those are the kind of places I regularly share content, articles, things of that nature. And um, my email is also on my website. And if, if you ever, if anyone ever wants to talk, right, anyone who heard this or any survivors, or if you need help finding resources, besides the ones that, you know, we'll link to through this, but anything, you know, any conversation, always happy to have.
1: Well, I appreciate that. And I, I think there's some men out there who, who may hear it and be like, "Let I me mean, let me test it out. Let me test let me test out what that feels like, looks like, can can sound like, you know? So thank you, Tim. Thank you for being on the Taking Out The Mask podcast. Thank you for sharing your mask today. For those of you out there who have not yet made a mask, you can go to 100kmasks.com. That's 100, the number 100kmasks with an S.com. And you can make a mask anonymously. And maybe if you find yourself encouraged and inspired and you want to uh, share this with somebody, click like, let somebody else know um, the conversation you heard and so that they can also um, hopefully learn in something that you may have learned today. Uh, we appreciate you all. Thank you so much, Tim. Thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Javi.
0: I really appreciate it.
1: Taking off the mask podcast is produced by Ryan Louie. Editing videography is also by Ryan Louie. Graphics by Kelly Wong and a special thanks to the team at Ever Forward, Vanessa Cortez and Kevin Romero. I would like to thank everyone who's been a part of the creation of this podcast as we hit this 1 year anniversary. We hope that everyone who's been a part knows that they're a part of the Taking Off the Mask experience. And we look forward to you being a part of it as well. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe, and share. And we look forward to us continuing to offer conversations that matter. Take care. See you soon.